quick snap, five-man pressure. He sits, he throws, he wants Stoker in the corner of the end zone. Stoker goes up, makes the catch, touchdown Denver! He beat Marcus Gilchrist, a perfectly thrown pass, and what a catch by the veteran Stoker. What is up, Football Nation? It is the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast, episode number 24. It is October 16th, 2012, and I'm the host, Steve Bennett, with my co-host, Don Russ. What's up, Don? How's it going? we got a great show for everybody today. Uh, we're going to do our usual wrap. We're going to start the show with three things. We're going to end with a listener email that was actually a listener tweet. Uh, we're also going to do one last thing, and we have a great interview today. Uh, James Walker is the AFC East blogger for ESPN.com, and James is going to talk to us about what has basically turned into division of the three and threes, as all four teams in the AFC East are three and three. But I think the AFC East is a really good example of what this league is this year, and that is you really got to dig a little bit further than the record to figure out what a team is. Yeah. I think sure. there's so many teams in the league that if you just look at their record, you might be misled in terms of what kind of team they are. I don't think anyone believes that all four teams in the AFC East are equal, right? No, they're probably Despite not, the fact that they're all three and three. Yeah, they're probably not even close, some of them. So I think that the AFC East is a really good place to start when you look at what might be a theme in the league this year, and that is that... Mediocrity. Yeah, mediocrity, <laughs> and that teams just aren't necessarily what they seem based on their records. But regardless of that, records are going to ultimately determine who gets into the tournament, sure. and getting into the tournament is how you win the Super Bowl. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started, and I think you're going to see a lot of teams that started slow maybe end up with good records to get into the playoffs and look more like the dominant teams we're used to like the Patriots like Green Bay like maybe even the Saints if they can have a few things happen right for them yeah so we got a lot to do today um w- one thing I wanted to say before we get started because it's not one of my things or whatever I wanted to give a shout out to our guest last week Ian Rappaport who uh <laughs> was probably everyone's seen it by now if you haven't all you have to do is type Ian's name into YouTube and it it's pops like the right first up. 10 videos yeah. that come up poor guy uh Ian was standing on the sidelines giving a report, and he got hit with a football, basically. Yep. <laughs> so what it comes down to from behind. And I thought he handled it like a pro. And uh, He laughed it off. He you can hear the people in the studio and, laughing, too. It's pretty funny. And it's been everywhere. I mean, Twitter's been blowing up. Everyone's got their jokes. It was on 21st and Prime on the uh, wrap-up show on NFL Network. So... Uh, props to Ian, and that's a good way to mention that Ian was the guest on our podcast last week, and if you still want to listen to that episode, or maybe our episode with Steve James, or Peter King, or any of our previous episodes, all you have to do is go to Football Nation, and then click on Podcast, which is in tabs along the top of the website, and you'll very easily be able to find all of our work there. Yep. And you can also find it on Podomatic.com and iTunes. That's right. So let's get things started with uh, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. 
to. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. As we do every week, the first thing we'll do is uh, kick it off with the week that was. And we talked a little bit of, off the bat about just how much, I mean, the, I said mediocrity. The league would probably like to think of it as parody, but... Boy, it was a tough week. If anyone out there that's in a pool where you pick games and you did well this week, props to you. Because yeah, I did horrible. I, uh, I think I got five. I'm in a pool and six. I got six. And I, 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 I had five and I got Monday. So I believe six. six was the average, too. So that's not usually the case in the NFL. But, yeah, a tough week. Uh, right off the bat, Thursday night, Titans look like a lousy team. Uh, Chris Johnson, CJ2K, can't run anywhere. And... Sure enough, the Big Bad Steelers come into town, and Chris Johnson runs with some success, and uh, they end up squeaking out a win there, 26-23, as the Steelers uh, are all of a sudden really banged up, and who knows what's going to happen with them for the rest of this season. Yeah, the Steelers are definitely banged up, and I think that they actually showed a lot of guts in the game. I mean, it seemed like every play, someone else was going down for that team, and they almost escaped that game with a victory. Yep. Um, a lot of props to Matt Hasselbeck, too, uh, playing in relief of Jake Locker, probably getting the Titans a win they never should have had. But if you look at the standings right now, everyone in the AFC is – there's two teams that are 5-1, and one, and then the next best record is 3-3. Three three and three. Three. Yep, only two winning teams in the league this week, and they play this week. Houston plays Baltimore. So. Right. And then there's seven teams that are 3-3. Three and three. Yeah, and that game, because of what happened this week, should be interesting, too. Baltimore loses to, uh, or no, they beat the, they hang on to beat the Cowboys. Not really. Thanks to the Cowboys. Yeah. What a disaster. Jason Garrett and Des Bryant. I mean, so much blame to go around for a team that ran the ball so well all day, seemed to have such a great game plan, and then they just couldn't manage the clock in the last drive. Yeah. They totally blew it. Ravens suffered some big injuries in that game. Two uh, big injuries. Ray right? Lewis and Ladarius Webb, both done for the what should be the year, I think. Yep. So where does that leave them now? Who knows? I mean, five and one. They got they got off to a good start. So, I mean, they might be in hold on mode, but it's not a very good division all of a sudden. If Pittsburgh is going to be just kind of average, and the Bengals have lost two very winnable games in yeah. the last two weeks to follow three and three. Yep. I mean, they're going to be kicking themselves. They should be five and one right now, but they go and lose to the Browns, who get their first victory this week. Uh, Brandon Whedon is finding supplemental draft pick Josh Gordon for these long <laughs> touchdowns, uh, a 70-yarder this week. So they seem to be having a little bit of chemistry there. Um, the Jets just out of nowhere pound the Colts 35-9 to with their played their best game since week one to improve to 3-3. Three and three. Um, The Chiefs might be the worst team in the league. Uh, they looked really bad in in Tampa Bay. Really, really bad. And the Lions, they're a team that only plays the fourth quarter, yeah. it seems like. They get a victory over the Eagles. They refuse Moves to run the, the ball. Eagles to three and three. LaShore had pretty good success running the ball that game. They just don't – 15 carries, it's, that's not enough. And maybe you don't want to burn the kid out because he's not used to carrying many more times than that. But, man, Stafford throws another 45 times in that game. 
The Giants probably had the most impressive victory of the weekend. The way that they went into San Francisco yep, sure. and just sucked the life out of the 49ers, winning 26-3. to I was really impressed with the Giants. and I, I think that maybe if I were to do a power rankings this week, I, they I, might I, be near the top. They'd be near the top. I don't know if with the 6-0 and team out there, I don't know if you can do anything but put them one. What's interesting with the Giants? No, I don't know if I believe it. Yeah, what's interesting with the Giants is you look at their wins. They lose week one to Dallas in a game they kind of fall apart in a little bit. Uh, they win week two at Tampa Bay, but they win 41-34. So shootout. They're, yeah, a shootout. I mean, a team that's supposed to be kind of like, kind of not rely on their defense. Their offense is awesome. It's pretty good too, but... Uh, Boy, I mean, they gave up 34 points to Tampa Bay team that just isn't that great offensively. Then they have a decisive win in Carolina. Go to Philadelphia and lose a game. On a field goal. Could have won it. Right. And then they, they blow out Cleveland, blow out San Francisco. They're just a very uneven team. But, I mean, this is what they did last year, too. They looked like a team that would miss the playoffs. They they played great down the stretch. So maybe they're turning it around and earlier that, this year. That Cleveland game was pretty similar to the Tampa game in the sense that Cleveland was the better team, like, in the first half. And the Giants then kind of woke up and took advantage of some mistakes by the Browns kind of come back. So, yeah, definitely the Giants. But after that game, I wonder – yeah, you know, I mean, because they just look so impressive to get to run on San Francisco in San Francisco uh, to force Alex Smith to just turn the ball over three times. He had only had one interception all year through minimal interceptions last year. Yeah, both teams that kind of looked like the, the maybe the best in the league in San Francisco and Houston kind of got embarrassed. This yeah, and the the Packers, you could make a case if that was the only game you watched. So all season, the that league, they're right. the best team in the league. They I mean, like the fifteen and one team last year. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers was—you could tell right from the start of that Sunday Night Football game that Aaron Rodgers came to play. Yeah, and that if the Texans were going to beat them, they were going to have to play a perfect game on offense, and they just didn't come close. No, Matt Schaub, who was—if you're a fantasy player—had a nice year a year or two ago, and then got injured last year. He had a nice start last year. Boy, he just does not look like a quarterback that can really carry a team. He seems. More and more like he's become a game manager quarterback, and maybe that's what they need there with that good run game and good defense, but that that's not a team built to play from behind. And I guess you can't go on and move to the next segment without, one, just saying, oh, my God, Robert Griffin III. Yeah. That was unbelievable. We'll talk more about that in our email section. And the Bills lose or win a game despite one of the worst – Two of the worst play calls I've ever seen, really. Uh, that was a bizarre, bizarre finish to a game. I mean, they had... Just weird. To be fair, the Bills had that game first. Right. They absolutely had that game, and then they... Try a wildcat wild throw. And throw a bomb. And you know what? Throwing out of the wildcat's fine. The Bills don't do it enough like to keep teams honest, but not there. Do that in the first quarter. So then they kind of give Arizona life. It seems like they have them stopped. Kicker... Kicks one out of the stadium. Yeah, sixty-one yard. And it would have been good. Split the uprights. Yeah. Unbelievable. Jay Feely. Okay, so the game is tied at that point. Yep. Bills get the ball back uh, on first down. They lose some yardage, get a sack, and then despite Arizona having three timeouts, they don't try for the first down. They rush a few times and then punt the ball away. All they had to do is get a first down there, and they. And they win that game, or at least make them burn the timeouts before giving them the ball back. It was just terrible. And then they they punted instead of going for a 51-yard field goal. It's just embarrassing. If you have a kicker 
they can't go for a 51-yard field goal, then why have a kicker? Yeah, it was um, sack. Uh, Fred Johnson rushed up the middle for two yards. Fred Jackson up the middle for seven yards. Punt. Yeah, just very bizarre, especially when you come out throwing to kind of run clock out before that, and then all of a sudden you get conservative because you get sacked one. And then Skelton hits Fitzgerald for a 28-yard pass to the Bills' 20. You think the game is over. Jay Feely comes in with his gloves on. Yeah. You know, and, we were ripping out his gloves on late. And he's going to win it. And he said on Twitter that someone got a hand on it. That's what I heard, too. I heard it was blocked. So, so I if give, that's the case, fine. So I guess the Bills, that made me feel a little better, actually, as a Bills fan. That, oh, they kind of earned that a little bit because somebody got a hand on it. But now, I haven't been able to get a second look at that. I haven't either. To know if. And none of the announcers. It was blocked, or if Jay Feely was just covering for himself. But he said, "I've heard a Stevie Johnson interview, and he called someone mega hands. I can't remember who, but someone on the Bills defense that he said got a hand on it. He was calling a mega hands." And then Jarris Bird gets his second interception of the day in overtime, and the Bills win the game. So kind of a wild, just yeah. bizarre finish. And and of all the week six games, the Monday night game was just unbelievable. Uh, I don't know why the Broncos have such a problem with the first half, but they give up 24 unanswered points to the Chargers in the first half. They look dead in the water. They come out for the third quarter. They get the ball, and right away, Manning just drives them down the field. And I, I thought that was a real turning point in the game, to get the ball, start the quarter, and just with authority drive down and get seven points like that to make it 24-7. to seven. Then they got a sack fumble returned for a touchdown. So it was 24-14 heading into the fourth quarter, and Peyton Manning just took the game over. He was great in the first half, though, too. Like, his numbers weren't bad. And yeah, he just made one mistake one in mistake, the first half. And before that, he just couldn't get on the field. Like, he had his, they showed him on the sideline with his helmet on after the kick was uh, fumbled. And by the way, I, I don't know. How, did you watch You watch the whole game? Yes. That, that kick that was fumbled, he fumbled it twice, really. Like, he kind of mishandled it, got it again, started to run with it, and then fumbled. He recovered that ball and then got beat up in a pile. Like, what is the – that's one of them strange rules where if you fumble, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, I'm surprised they didn't challenge that unless that's not challengeable. I think it is challengeable that he had clear possession before the scrum. You can't challenge the scrum, though. That's what I thought. It looked like he had clear possession before that scrum, and it was just one of them cases where they had two guys that probably beat him up under there pretty good. And And poor poor Eric Decker tripped on the 40-yard line, too. I mean, Did you see his uh, girlfriend's tweet about that? (laughs) No, what would she say? I don't know who his girlfriend is. Some uh, cutie little country singer. And uh, someone tweeted her implying that he'd been having too much sex. Oh. And that's why he tripped or something. Yeah, that'll do it. Tripped over his own legs. And she responded by saying, well, he's got three of them. Oh. Wow. Congratulations, Eric. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. (laughs) But that was a big factor in the game getting to the point that it got. Because at the time, uh, the game was... That would have made it ten to seven, and then right, a couple right. plays later, Manning threw the interception, and it ended up being seventeen nothing. Decker said in a post game that they had tripwires out there, and he was going to have the NFL investigate. I don't blame him. But uh, great week of football, though. It was great for me. This it was a perfect week, I think, for the Saints bye. I didn't have the stress of having to worry about them, <laughs> and I just sat back and there was a lot of just entertaining stuff going on. 
Another game I don't think we cannot talk about is uh, is Seattle for real? Can they keep doing this? Yeah, Seattle's. I don't know. Seattle's another team that, if you look at their record, four and do two. you know what kind kind of team they are? The four I mean, and they got two. a gift win, right? And in this game, they scored. 14 points in like the final eight minutes, including a touchdown with a minute 18 left. And if you want to find, not that you can really, if you're a Seattle fan, you're going to find any negatives in it. But if you want to find like extra hope in this game, Russell Wilson had almost 300 yards passing. And that's usually not his game. He's kind of a handoff to Marshall. Yeah, three, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And he yeah. made a beautiful throw for the so, winner to Sidney Rice. R- real nice game for him. A little bit surprising maybe that they weren't able to run on New England so much with Marshawn Lynch. I'm sure fantasy owners were disappointed in his day. But, yeah, Seattle 4-2. and two. I think we kind of talked about this, but I just think the main theme in this league right now is if you just look at the standings, I don't think you're getting a full picture of where the teams in the league are. Right. It's been a really, really strange first six weeks. Is Green Green Bay is the team that got screwed by the officials, so they're they should really be a four and, and two team. That's true, not right. a three and three team. Um, Atlanta, they're six and zero, oh, but they've also had to save themselves in like the last thirty seconds of a couple games. Are they as good as the usual six and zero oh team that we have in the league? They blew out Kansas City. They won a game in Denver that Peyton really gave them, and then they just held on. Uh, they blew out San Diego. They won by two in Carolina. That's the one that took a bomb from the one yard line. To... Right, right. Uh, they had a tie, or they had a, won by a touchdown in Washington, and then they squeak out a win this week against Oakland. So they're not exactly blowing teams out. I mean, other than I mean, San Diego on the on the road is a nice win. They're finding a way to win each week. I just don't know how good they are yet, and I have no idea who. Like, I want to just unequivocally say that San Francisco is the best team in the NFC West. But the way they played on Sunday, now they're in a three-way tie with Seattle and Arizona. Right. And St. Louis is 3-3. Three and three. It's just... It's crazy league. It's bizarre. It's, be a lot- and I don't know where people... I don't know where teams are. Like, I know Jacksonville's bad. I know Kansas City's bad. I know that... Carolina's probably not as good as they were, but... I'm sure for the league, the NFL loved the idea... Uh, a few years back when the Saints won the Super Bowl of possibly Indy and New Orleans making it there with undefeated records. That ultimately didn't happen, but they proved they were the class of the league and they both made it to the Super Bowl. It was one of the first times in a long time that both one seeds had played in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Green Bay this or last year going 15-1, and one, looking unbeatable. I'm sure that's somewhat good for the league, but the league has to love this even more, the fact that, like like I said, we were talking before we started recording. The Saints are one and four right now. Yes. Are they out of it? I mean, not at all. And other than maybe Atlanta, maybe San Francisco, maybe the Giants. I mean, they're not going to be an underdog in many games, and they're a one and four team right now. So it'll be interesting. seven of the twelve teams in the AFC are three and three. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's a great time to be a football fan, and uh, we went really long on that first thing. We we did, but it was one of those weeks. It was yeah. just a crazy, crazy week. So my first thing this week, or second thing this week, is going back to last week, the Colts Patriots game, or Colts. I'm sorry, I wrote Colts Pats. I meant Colts Packers Packers game. Uh, Reggie Wayne had that monster 13 reception, 212 yard game. He was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, which I thought, oh okay, whatever. I mean, he deserved it. 
And then I found out that was the first time in his career to have ever gotten the AFC Player of the Week. And that, to me, is amazing with the career he's had. He's never had it. I guess they've just probably always given it to Peyton in those weeks that he's had a great great time, a great week. So, uh, Reggie Wayne, congratulations on uh, <laughs> your first AFC Offensive Player of the Week. The Javid Best situation kind of gets weirder and weirder as each day goes by. For the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing that for a long time now, Javid Best has been symptom-free mm-hmm. and ready to come off the PUP list and be a contributor to the Lions. I actually went and picked him up in a fantasy, in a fantasy league, league right. and just stored him just to see because I had the room in that specific league. Now word has come out this week that he's not cleared and he's not coming off PUP which means he's going on IR, which means we won't be seeing Javi Best done for this the season. Yep. A lot of people are saying that he might be done forever. And I'm confused. I don't know. Is Javid Best done because of concussions? Or is Javid Best done because nobody wants to take the risk of being the one to put Javid Best on the field and have another concussion occur and deal with the lawsuit. Yeah, if a team doctor... I mean, I, I know we, we've given stats before, maybe not on this podcast, maybe on other podcasts, about how just there's thousands, like literally thousands of players right now who have filed lawsuits against the NFL for basically putting them on the field without enough knowledge of their injuries. You would think in today's game, like, that... That wouldn't be the case. Like there would be enough enough out there that people would know. So why why single out Javid Best? Is the you know NFL I mean? like, looking for a pat on the back for someone to say the NFL is doing the right thing? Well, if they are, Javid Best isn't he- helping the situation by saying things like, "Basically, I'm a passenger in this whole thing." You know what I mean? Like he's right. He because has no idea what's going on. I think Javid Best feels like he's ready to go. Yeah, that's what he's been giving everyone. The, the Lions general manager. Martin Mayhew issued this statement. After today's consultation with medical experts, including representatives from our medical and training staff, it's been determined that Javid will not be permitted to return to play at this time. Throughout this entire process, we have placed the highest priority on what's best for Javid from a health and safety standpoint. While today's decision is disappointing from a football perspective, we fully and entirely respect and support this recommendation. Javid will continue to work with our medical and training staffs with the hope that he ultimately will be cleared to return to the playing field. Yes. Okay. Right. Nowhere in there does it say, and then we talked to Javin and he said this about his health. Right. Now, concussions aren't an NFL problem for him. He also ended his career at Cal with two concussions. So, obviously, this is a guy who's probably at the edge of how many concussions right. can he have? But I just think it's really interesting. You know, I mean, you have people writing that the NFC North blogger for ESPN, we have the AFC East blogger on today, says that he doesn't think Javid Best is ever going to play again. Wow. And a lot of people think that. Even though he's concussion-free, nobody's going to take their risk at some I think that's where we're at. I think that... I mean, I guess it. I mean, he's in one corner saying, "I'm ready, I'm ready," and everyone right. else is in the other corner saying, 
he might be ready, but what if we put him out there and he gets another concussion and then it's going to be on us and we cleared him and then there's going to be another lawsuit? I guess from a human being standpoint, if you're watching and if you want the NFL to lean one way or the other, I guess that's the way I want them to lean in the direction of player safety. But, wow, it's you don't see too often a guy with a concussion get ruled out week six. It's two months left in the season, and supposedly he's symptom-free. I it is a bizarre one. My last thing this week, short and sweet, because we ran out of music. Uh, <laughs> AP Source is saying that Beyonce is set to perform during the Super Bowl halftime show. So, wow, I, there you go. You know, Beyonce. when I heard that, when you told me that was one of your things, I just thought, is Beyonce at the level of the other halftime performers? Yeah, I guess so. I guess she's probably on par with a Janet Jackson type. Sure. But if you look at the list, let me read you some of the – it's almost like a halftime name game. Directly after the halftime show, they got some people that were kind of safe, like Aerosmith and – Right, after the um, the wardrobe malfunction. Right, right. But let's see. So we had Madonna last, last year, year yeah. was the main – one. It was kind of past her prime. Well, not kind of. She's way past her prime, too. The Black Eyed Peas were the main act the year before. Yeah, they were kind of right in their prime, but, I mean... The Who before that. Right, way past their prime. Uh, Bruce Springsteen before that. That was that was probably pretty well-received. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers before that. Wow, I don't, even, I don't have any recollection of that. That was the uh, 2008. Wow. So that must have been the Cardinals and... Steelers Super Bowl. Right. Um, no, that's not possible because it was in Phoenix. No one's ever played in their home stadium. Oh. Hmm. What Super Bowl is that? That was – oh, Giants over Patriots, 17-14. Oh, right. Um, I might have been driving during halftime. That's why I don't know. I Prince was the year before that. Okay. The Rolling Stones before that. Okay. Paul McCartney before that. Wardrobe malfunction. Most of these people – with the exception of maybe like, uh, no, most of these people were probably at their prime bigger than Beyonce, but yeah, I think what we see now is after having that big safe period of older, already in the hall of fame rock acts, yeah. I think you see the league taking a step towards being a little bit hipper. Except for Madonna. I mean, I know she's still somewhat relevant, but she's old as dirt so well the last three now are going to be black eyed peas madonna beyonce yeah which is a lot different than the three before that the who bruce springsteen and tom petty right i mean if they so really we're wanted seeing to a be shift really relevant like and really popular like who would they go for like pearl jam <laughs> i think they're probably a little i love them obviously i don't know i have no the, idea pastor prime isn't the right term but I, I, I never have no idea who like the height of popularity, would make sense. Like Beaver or somebody. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But All there right. you have it, Beyonce. Last thing of three things this week, and it is the return of some linebackers to the league this week. Uh, John, uh, Charles Suggs and Jonathan Vilma are both going to come off of PUP. Doesn't sound like Suggs is ready to play just yet. Uh, I think they described him as extremely limited in practice. Oh, yeah. So Suggs might be a couple of weeks off, but he is at least healthy enough to come off of PUP, and they're not going to you know, move him to, to IR. But it sounds like Vilma is more determined to maybe get on the field. And 
the first thing that came to mind when I heard that was, well, wait, aren't they suspended? But this week, um, the NFLPA filed papers in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana seeking to have Commissioner Roger Goodell remove himself from the appeals process process as it relates to the suspensions he issued for four players that last week. Um, So far, the commissioner has been unable to do this, and you can read more about this at a NFLPA, so take it for what it's worth, website, ProPlayerInsiders.com. Um, so as of right now, the suspended suspensions are on hold as the appeals process plays out, but that doesn't mean a lot for some players because Scott Fujita's career may be over with a neck injury. Jonathan Vilma is just trying to get back on the field. Anthony Hargrove still isn't on a team and Will Smith, I assume is healthy and will play. But when you think about it like that, Boy, the NFL sure is going through a lot for four guys that aren't going to have much impact on their league, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. This, I mean, just when you thought this was over every week, it still seems to creep back into the news. All right. So a little bit of an extra long three things there, but plenty to talk about. We're going to take a break and come back with AFC East blogger from ESPN.com, James Walker. <laughs> Our guest today is a native of the state of Maryland and is a graduate of Temple University. He joined ESPN in 2008, where today he is an AFC East blogger for ESPN.com. He's making his first appearance on the Football Nation and Sportscasters podcast. A warm welcome to the very talented James Walker. What's going on, James? Hey, thank you for the nice introduction. That was uh, was pretty impressive. Uh, I like it. You like the little Temple fight song there? Yeah, that was cool. Uh, fight, fight, fight for the cherry and white. Uh, we're we're not doing too well in football. We're doing okay in football. Better better than when I was in school uh, back in the day. But we're we're more more basketball school than anything still, right. even to this day. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. You know, it's a really interesting season to be the AFC East blogger with the way things have shaken out this year. And a big theme of the show today has been for us how. If you just look at the standings and you you didn't really watch any games and you just kind of picked up and you looked at the standings, it might be hard to really know what teams are about just based on their record. And I think the AFC East is a really good indication of that, where all four teams are 3-3, three and three, but if you look at their point differentials, they're all over the place. I mean, the Patriots are a plus 51, the Bills are a minus 55. The Dolphins and the Jets are somewhere in the middle there. What are your thoughts on kind of our thesis today of it being a really difficult season to judge teams based on their records? Yeah, I mean, the, the NFL in general is a, is a parody league, but I, I really think this season, uh, more, more than most, uh, kind of shows that. And the AFC East is kind of parody central um, as far as that's concerned, where you have you know all four teams in first place and all four teams in last place, and, and as you mentioned, it, there's just been different routes that each team ha- has taken uh, towards their three and three record. You know, the Bills, as you mentioned, have been all over the place. You know, they'll they'll get blown out by you know four or five touchdowns one week, and and then you know they'll they'll win a close game, or or 
uh, the, you know, the Patriots. The Patriots have lost three games by, by four points, uh, which is very, very hard to do. Uh, you know, every win has come by uh, three points or less, but they're three and three uh, nonetheless. And, and, you know, the other two teams have sort of been in between. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really all over the place, but I really think, you know, I guess the, the million-dollar question is, is this an extremely competitive division this year or is it a mediocre division this year? And I'm, I'm leaning towards mediocre. Um, I, I've watched these games every week, and, I, you know, I'm seeing a lot of bad football, a lot of questionable decisions as far as coaching is, is concerned, a lot of big plays uh, given up by secondaries. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of mediocre football as opposed to high-quality football uh, where it's very competitive. Do you still think that New England is the class of this division? division yeah i think it's that's a pretty uh easy um answer easy assumption to to make i mean they've dominated the division for the last uh 12 years and uh, of the four teams i mean this might not come as a shock to any any of your listeners but of the four teams they're the team i'm least worried about you know as i mentioned they, they've lost three games by by four points total so any of those games you know a, a big play here late in the fourth quarter a make kick um you know at the end of regulation any of those plays if had they gone the other way, the Patriots could have been six and zero right now. We'd have been talking about them as potentially the best team in the league. So they'll they'll be fine. You know, they're not going to go fourteen and two or or maybe thirteen and three as a lot of us originally projected uh, because of their schedule. Their schedule turned out to be a little tougher than than we thought coming into the year. But they'll they'll be there at the end of the year. They're going to win ten or eleven games. They're going to win the AFC East and, and have a home playoff game. And really, that's that's all it's about. And in, in the NFL is. Set yourself up for a playoff run, and then pretty much there you just roll the dice because whoever gets hot, you know, in January and February usually wins out. So the Patriots will be there, barring an injury to Tom Brady. I think they'll be fine. You know, it doesn't get more polarizing, I don't think, in this league than the New York Jets. There's just something about this team from their hard knocks appearance all the way up to this point, all the craziness with Tim Tebow and the ups and downs that is the Jets. Where do you see the Jets as a competitive team in this league six weeks into the season? Yeah, they were probably the hardest team to, to get a read on um, in the mini camps and in training camp. There, there were a lot of things that I saw from them that I liked uh, and, and a lot of things that, that I didn't like. And now, as we've seen the first six games of the year, I, you know, I, I'm leaning more. They're, they're probably more of a pretender than anything. They have a big game coming up Sunday against New England where if they go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots, then you have to really take them seriously. But I, I really don't see that happening. I think this team is probably more of a, you know, maybe a seven-win team, uh, especially after the injuries of Daryl Revis, who's their best defensive player, and Santonio Holmes. Uh, both guys are out for the season. Holmes is their best offensive player. So I really don't see how this team can recover. They, they don't score enough points, enough touchdowns week to week. They had a big game against the Colts, but that was more so because uh, the Colts, you know, really laid down and were coming off an emotional high uh, the, w- the week before, so the Jets kind of pounded them into submission. But you, you can't win that many games playing caveman football. They ran the ball 44 times uh, and only passed it 18 times. They can't do that every week and, and expect to win consistently. So unless Mark Sanchez suddenly develops into, you know, a franchise quarterback, which he hasn't shown to be in his first four seasons, I, I really don't see how this team overcomes the loss of Revis and Antonio Holmes. Would you keep sending Sanchez out there every week, or would you open the Pandora's box and let Tebow have a crack at it? Yeah, I, I'm more so in line with with most people in that that you just at this point you got to take it week to week. And you know, I've never been a big Mark Sanchez guy. I know he won some big games early in his career, but in terms of him 
you know, taking over a team or lifting a team to a higher level like you see, you know, with Eli Manning, for instance, in New York. You know, a guy that even through injuries, even when things aren't working around him, he's able to sort of lift his team to a, to a new level. Tom Brady does it. Aaron Rodgers does it. Those are the franchise quarterbacks that are able to do it. I think Sanchez is more of a manager um, at that position. There's nothing wrong with that as long as everything around you is working. But with the Jets, he's had a lot of injuries. He doesn't have a lot of quality skill players around him. Uh, the running game is up and down. One week is there, one week it's not. And the defense hasn't been as good as it has been in the past. So, uh, you know, so at that point, they need a franchise guy in there if the Jets are really going to take off. And I just don't think Sanchez is that guy. I think he's an okay uh, game manager. But, but like I said, it has to be with everything going around him. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm more so in the week-to-week category. You just got to take it week-to-week with him. If he has two or three bad games in a row, then maybe you have to sort of open Pandora's box and go with Tim Tebow. But, but right now, he won a big game. You know, it, it seems as soon as you're ready to sort of bench him, he comes back with a decent performance or they win a game to sort of, uh, you know, calm that, calm the benching part uh, down. So really, you know, right now I would say no, you can't bench Mark Sanchez. But then if he goes and, and loses two or three games in a row, then I think they definitely have to consider it. You know, in the up and down tabloid world of New York City, there's been some whispers at times, especially um, after the San Francisco and Houston two-game losing streak. Uh, that maybe Rex Ryan wasn't the right coach for this team and that maybe they should look to move on if the season were to fall apart. I wonder if you think, kind of like we've said on this show a few times, that sure, there's some culpability there for Rex Ryan, but where's the talent on this team? For for a team that sure does talk a lot, it seems like Tannenbaum hasn't put together all that much talent. It just seems like a really thin team. Yeah, and that, that's a very good uh, observation because Tannenbaum has sort of been the, the, the quiet guy behind the scenes who, who doesn't get a lot of heat. You know, it's always on Sanchez. It's always on, you know, Rex Ryan, or it's always on, you know, Brian Schottenheimer last year when he wasn't, uh, when he's calling the plays on offense. It's always somebody uh, to sort of put the finger on, and, and really no one has put the finger um, on Tannenbaum. So, yeah, I, I think if you look at the division overall, and I think this is one of the reasons why you have, you know, all four teams at 3-3, three and three, with the exception of the Patriots, there's not a lot of depth uh, really on the other three teams um, behind the starters. And I think, you know, every year you have injuries, and the teams that are able to handle injuries best are the teams that, you know, really get rolling and really, uh, you know, go into the playoffs with, with a good record. And the Jets, you know, behind their starters, they, they have holes, you know, in, in their starting lineup, but every team has holes. You can't build a perfect team, not with the salary cap. But they really lack depth. So when a guy like Antonio Holmes goes down, they really don't have anybody – you know, behind him, they can they can really you know help or at least you know sort of contribute. They sort of keep the ball rolling. So if they if they suffer any big you know another big significant injury, and that really goes for the other three teams too, the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. If they have you know one or two big injuries on their team, I mean that pretty much assures them that they're not you know going to be in contention for an AFC title because neither of those teams have depth. And I think that's where, if anything, you can blame Mike Tannenbaum for not you know hitting on enough draft picks or bringing enough you know, quality free agents to, to really sustain injuries. You know, it seems like for the last year and a half, the Bills have been trying to build their team to beat the Patriots the way that they've seen the Giants do it. It seems like they've tried to make their defensive line the type of defensive line that can get pressure on a quarterback when you just rush four guys. And so far this season, they haven't had much success there. They did have some success against Arizona, and Mario Williams finally had a couple of sacks. 
The first question I want to ask you in regards to that is about Marcel Darius, a number three overall pick in the draft. Should Bills fans be worried that, I don't want to use the word bust yet because he's still got a ways to go, but should Bills fans be worried that maybe that wasn't the right pick there? No, you know, I'm not as worried about Marcel Darius as I am about, uh, you know, Mario Williams. And I know the level of expectations is, is much higher. Uh, you know, for uh, Mario Woods because, you know, they paid him $100 million. But Darius, for the most part, did his job last year. He came in, he made some plays. Uh, the run defense wasn't good. Just can't blame, you know, the run defense all on one guy. I, I think he's a good player. Now, is he, is he a guy that's going to change the franchise and maybe that's what you want, you know, at, at such a high pick? You know, I, it's too early to say, but I, I don't think he's that kind of player. But I, I think when you put him on the same line with the Kyle Williams, uh, you know, with the Mario Williams and, and Mark Anderson when he's healthy, I, I I think he's fine. I'm not I'm not as worried about Marcel Darius, um, you know, being a draft bust or anything like that. I, I think there's more pressure on Mario Williams, a guy who has a, a world of talent, who got paid 100 million dollars, and who came in really to sort of change the dynamics of the Bills defense. We haven't seen that yet. Uh, he did have his first double digit stat game of the season against Arizona, but with, with a guy like that that's getting paid as much money as he is, we, we need to see that every week. Um, pretty much for Mario Williams to, to, to really, you know, sort of uh, uh, earn his keep as far as, you know, what they're paying him and, and the value that came with, with that free agent signing. So if, if there is a guy on that defensive line that, that I'm, I'm pointing the finger at the most, uh, you know, I, I would say it's the guy at defensive end, Mario Williams, and is, uh, you know, Marcel Darius at defensive tackle. You know, we're from Buffalo, so we hear a lot of chatter about the Bills. And one thing that has really surprised me about Mario Williams and I have to be careful here because he's a lot bigger than me. I don't want to call him—I don't want to call him a baby or anything like that, but or a whiner. But it seems like he has spent a lot of the season making excuses for why he hasn't lived up to his contract. Is that his reputation? You know, I have not heard anything previously um, to that, so I would not go as far as to say that that—that's his rep. I mean, he's been in the league for a few years in Houston. I have not previously heard from Houston or anywhere else that he has the reputation of, of being a whiner or a complainer. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right in that he just needs to play football. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, no excuses and, and just go out there and make plays and, and play football. And, and you know, I, I was in the locker room after that Jets game uh, when he mentioned that, you know, he was being uh, – he had hands to the face uh, pretty much the whole game because, you know, he was shut out by Austin Howard, who people were like, who is Austin Howard and how is he right. shutting out, you know, a guy that's been in the Pro Bowl – um, two times and, and getting paid a hundred million dollars. So he immediately had an excuse uh, ready uh, for the media as soon as I, I guess before we even asked a question. He, he was ready to say, "Look, I just want to make a statement." You know, I had hands in the face the entire game, so he knew that he underachieved against the guy that that he should have dominated. So really, you know, it, it, I would prefer him not to do that. I'm sure the coaching staff and, and things like that would prefer him not to to make excuses and say his wrist, you know, his wrist was injured. Uh, the league actually had to look into that afterwards. So, yeah, Mario Williams just has to play football. It's early in the season. I wouldn't say he has a reputation as being a whiner. It's not something that he's done, you know, his previous years uh, in Houston, at least that I know of. And, yes, he's done it a bit, um, you know, in Buffalo, but I don't think that's enough for him to earn that rep. One thing that is dominates sports talk radio here is the million-dollar question, and I just want to get your opinion on it, and that is, is Ryan Fitzpatrick a quarterback that can lead the Bills mm-hmm into the playoffs and end the 12-year playoff drought that Buffalo Bills fans have been suffering through? Well, I mean, 
I guess the uh, uh, easier question for me would be, is he a franchise quarterback? Okay. And by my definition, I would say that he's not. Uh, but there there have been quarterbacks that have made the playoffs before that, that aren't, you know, that aren't franchise quarterbacks. So I, I, I wouldn't, if the Bills end up making the playoffs and Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't the reason, uh, isn't the primary reason or one of the primary reasons that he made the playoffs, I don't really think that's, you know, an endorsement of him to say that, okay, he's the guy just because they won nine games and he got a wild card game, but he had a, you know, up and down season, which he's known uh, to do. I, I've never been a big Ryan Fitzpatrick guy, same way uh, that I've been with Mark Sanchez. I, I think the quarterbacking overall in the division is pretty average. I think Ryan Tannehill does have a lot of possibilities and a lot of potential, uh, but, but he's not there yet. I think there's a significant gap between Tom Brady um, and everybody else. The biggest thing with me with Ryan Fitzpatrick is you just don't know what you're going to get from him every week. And I think, if anything, from the quarterback position, coaches need to know that, okay, this is the guy we have and this is what we're going to get. You know, some weeks you get three touchdowns, some weeks you get three interceptions. Some weeks you get, uh, you know, a guy that can beat Tom Brady and some weeks you get a guy that, that can just throw a game away. And as a, as a quarterback, as a, a franchise quarterback, you just can't, you just can't do that if, if, if you want that title. And I think more than anything, I think that's the biggest shot on Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's not that he's a bad player. You know, it's not that, uh, you know, that he can't win games. It's just that he just, you, you just don't know what you're going to get from him every week. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to solve that problem, which I don't think he can because he's been in the league long enough to the point where, you know, he's not a young pup. He's not a rookie or a first or second year quarterback. He's been in the league long enough to where he is what he is. And, and what Ryan Fitzpatrick is is a schizophrenic quarterback. Uh, that, that, you know, can, can throw three interceptions in one game and, and three touchdowns the next. And I, I just don't think you can win consistently with, with, with that kind of player as a quarterback. The sportscasters here on Football Nation are finishing up with James Walker, AFC East blogger from ESPN.com. You can follow James on Twitter, ESPN underscore AFC East is the handle. Got to get one or two real quick Dolphins questions in here before we let you go. Uh, the Dolphins are a team who, like everyone in the division, is 3-3, three and three, but they also have two overtime losses, games that they were very competitive in, and maybe if the ball bounces one way or another, they find themselves winning. We could have been very easily talking about a 5-1 and one team here. Dolphins are going on a bye, and if you look at their schedule, when they come back, they have four games lined up that they probably won't be favored in all four games, but you'd have to say they could win all four games. Do you think that this is a team that could compete for a wild card position in this league, or am I getting ahead of myself? No, I you know I, I completely whiffed on Miami. Full full disclosure, uh, from the team that I saw in training camp and in the preseason, and you know a lot of people saw nationally on Hard Knocks. I thought this was a six win team at best. I I didn't think. Ryan Tannehill, a guy with 19 career starts, could, could really come in and play the way he has. I'm um, oh, sorry, 19 career college starts. Right. Uh, can, can come into the league and, and play the way he has in the NFL. He's looked poised. The game doesn't look too big for him. It doesn't look too fast for him. And, you know, he's not losing games, which is, which is the key uh, for a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, I, I didn't think they could score enough points on offense uh, with the receivers that they had and the weapons they had on offense and a rookie quarterback. But they've been doing well. They've been running the ball really well. Their run defense is, is, is impenetrable uh, on, on most weeks, although they struggled a bit against the St. Louis Rams. But I completely whiffed on them. I, I had to raise my expectations for them, and I, I think they can win eight games. Um, you know, their schedule, as you mentioned, is, is favorable, especially with the way they've been playing. And, and they're a team that can run the ball and stop the run. And if you can do that, you can frustrate opponents 
weeks because, you know, you can't impart their will. Opponents can't impart their will on the Dolphins. If anything, they, they sort of make it a physical game and impart their will on opponents. So if you can do those two things, you can have close games up until the fourth quarter, which is what they've done pretty much every week this season, is, is come down to the fourth quarter. Now the question is, can they make enough plays in the clutch? Do they have enough playmakers, uh, you know, when, when it comes to crunch time to make plays? And I think that's something that they struggle with earlier in the season with those two overtime losses, but it looks like they're starting to get it now, and that's why they've won two in a row and they're at 3-3. Three and three. So I think there are possibilities for the Dolphins in, in the second half of the season. I think they have as good a shot as any team in the AFC East besides the Patriots. You know, so before where I thought they would finish, you know, third or fourth um, in, in the division, I think they have the potential to finish second if, if they continue to play the way that they have and they stay injury-free. One thing that our listeners might not know about James Walker but should is dude is on fire calling AFC East games this year. So 17-4, and four, is that right? That that is right, and I struggled last week. I was better uh, before that, but I'm doing pretty well for myself. I must say. Oh man, the guy's blazing! So, Jets and uh, Patriots play huge division game this week. Which way are you leaning? Uh, I think this game is pretty easy. Uh, you go with the New England Patriots. Both teams need a win, but the Patriots, you know, they they just have too many horses. And like I said, they're three and three, but they're a deceptive three and three because all all three of their losses came down to to the final plays of the game, so they could easily be a 6-0 team disguised as a 3-3 and team, so I think the Patriots win this game pretty easily by, you know, 10 points or 2 touchdowns. Alright, last thing, is this a one playoff team division, or do you think a second team will squeeze in? You know, coming into the season, I, I would say, you know, and I, I did pick the Bills as my, as my dark horse team coming in, so I thought that they, if any team had a chance to to sort of be a dark horse team to sneak in one of those wild cards, it would be the Bills. Now watching, you know, through the first month and a half, I'm, I'm leaning more towards, you know, it being a, a one uh, one playoff team kind of division. However, when you look at the AFC as a whole, you know, there, there's a lot of mediocre teams, um, you know, in, in the AFC conference in general. So you kind of pinpoint, okay, where's, where are those two wild cards going to come from? You, you figure maybe one from the AFC North, you know, the Steelers are a team that's struggling a lot right now, but they're consistent. Maybe they compete for one of those wild-card spots. But, but where is the second one going to come from? Is it going to come from the AFC West? Uh, you know, maybe the Chargers, Broncos, loser, whoever loses that division, or, or you know, the AFC South. You know, I, I don't really know if there's another team that you can you can pick out there. So it could be one of those years where maybe a nine-win season kind of sneaks in. And I think, you know, any of these three teams, if they get high at the right time and they stay healthy, have the potential – um, to maybe sneak in more so by default uh, because it's a mediocre year in the AFC than anything. I, I don't. I really don't think there's any great team in the division. The, the Patriots have the potential and the talent to be great, but they aren't playing it like it right now. But you know, as far as getting two teams in, I, I think they have a chance by default uh, more than anything, as, as opposed to them being a legitimate you know playoff team. All right, James Walker from ESPN.com, the AFC East blog. Again, you can find. Him on Twitter at ESPN underscore AFC East. Anything else, James, that you want to mention to the listeners about where they can find your work or, you know, anything more specific than what I mentioned? No, I think you covered it all. Uh, ESPN.com, AFC East blog. Also, you know, follow me on Twitter. I I have a lot of fun on Twitter there. And, and, you know, sometimes I like to take Twitter polls and sort of get a gauge from the fans uh, of the teams. I think sometimes that helps me with, uh, you know, sort of where uh, blog ideas and things like that come from. So, yeah, I think you covered it all. Thank you so much for doing this, James. We really appreciate it. 
All right, no problem. Always fun. All right, we have to thank James Walker from ESPN.com for being on the show today. We really appreciate that. A couple of pieces of business before we move on to the last two pieces of business for the show. Don't forget you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can follow Football Nation on Twitter at FBall Nation. Don't forget our other podcast. We call it the Sportscasters Proper. Most recent episode, Season 2, Episode 35, features interviews with Damon Hack, Lars Anderson, and Jonah Carey. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Okay, so two last things to do, and those two things are email and one last thing. Our email is actually a Twitter question from a big fan of the show and a big fan of the Washington Redskins. Matthew Barry. Yes. <laughs> he tweeted us on Sunday night, obviously very happy about what had happened earlier in the day. Right. And he says this, serious question, is RG3 a top 10 player in the NFC right now? Rodgers, Willis, JPP, Breeze, Ware, Megatron, Briggs, Graham, Eli, RG3 question. So that's who he lays out as his top 10. He kind of says more, uh, I can't tell about offensive linemen. Right, yeah, who knows. So we're going to leave offensive linemen out of the discussion. Um, also, we're not going to consider special teams like no kickers, kickers or sponsors, anything crazy right. like that. And um, for him, his kind of next group is Clay Matthews, LaShawn McCoy, Julius Peppers, Justin Smith, but he says he'd rather have Griffin than any in that next bunch. So that led me to kind of consider it, and Don and I have come up with our list of the top 10 players in the NFC, and you're more than welcome to email us yours at thesportscasters at gmail.com or on Twitter at sports underscore casters. What do you got, Don? All right. First of all, the end of that email or the end of that tweet where he kind of says he'd rather have RG3 than the rest of those guys, that might be a whole different list than who the best 10 players are because I'm if I'm picking a player that I want more than any other player, RG3 might be like the third guy on my list from there. Given his age and his the age, position, the position mostly. The right. fact that he's a quarterback. Like I don't care if Kelvin Johnson's going to go down as the greatest wide receiver of all time. I want the potentially third best quarterback in right. the NFC. Right, because being from Buffalo, we've seen what happens when you go 12 years without right. a franchise quarterback. You don't make the playoffs. Right, and I mean, sometimes you have slow starts like Breeze is this year, but for the most part, when the Saints got Breeze, that turned around and maybe saved that franchise. I mean, I don't know if there were any rumors them moving, but uh, it he, he them, took them away from the Aints. Right. For sure. They won a Super Bowl with the guy. Right. All right, so my number one is Aaron Rodgers right now. And like I said, my list is going to be quarterback is going to be number one so they're going to be weighted a little bit heavier and i also took into account at the end of this guy's career what's the likelihood like he's going to be a top five player ever at that position maybe top 10 player ever and i think rogers will probably finish his career near that discussion at least so rogers is my number one i have roger the way well 
How about this? Let just do your list, and then you'll do. Uh, then I'll do mine because I have mine kind of ranked a little bit different than you do. Okay. So you can just give us your top ten, then I'll give you yours, and then we can kind of debate it. My number two is Drew Brees. Again, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on quarterback. It's uh, most important posi- single position in any team sport. Period. Yes. Uh, my number three. I had these out of order. I wrote down a list and then I ordered them. My number three is Calvin Johnson because of partially because of what I said. I think he might go down as the greatest receiver of all time, barring injury. And I mean, he's just a physical freak. He's fast. He's huge. He's strong. Uh, he catches everything thrown at him. My number four is Larry Fitzgerald. Maybe the best hmm. guy I've ever seen at just going up and catching a ball. It doesn't matter. It seems sometimes how many guys are around him. He's just got great hands. Doesn't drop anything. My number five is Adrian Peterson. Again, he's been on a lot of bad teams. Uh, it's, his, his, it's arguable how important the running back position is, but in his case, I kind of considered the other factor of, at the end of his career, where is he going to rank among the best ever? And I think he'll be right up there. So Adrian Peterson. Then we move to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, my number six is Patrick Willis. I don't think it's coincidence that when he got there, the 49ers turned around and now they have a that nasty defense other than this week, whatever. But uh, my number seven is DeMarcus Ware. Kind of a pass rush specialist, but he's – I think the if any if the Giants have shown us anything is that if the quarterback – That can win a Super Bowl too. Right. If the quarterback's the most important position on the team, then maybe defensive end is the second most. So DeMarcus Ware is my next. Uh, my number eight is Jared Allen. My number nine is Jason Pierre-Paul. So a lot of defensive ends there slash three, four linebackers, whatever you want to call them. Right. And my number 10 is maybe a little bit premature to be on this list, but it's Patrick Peterson. Uh, I think he just does a lot of things to make the Cardinals win games. It's not just about – it's not about being Daryl Revis and cutting down half of the field. I mean, obviously, if Revis were in the NFC, I'd have him ranked higher. But Patrick Peterson and his punt returns and his interception returns, he's just a dangerous, dangerous guy that you have to really kind of game plan around. All right. The way I just did my list is basically by position. I have six guys from offense and four guys from defense. Okay. I have Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and Eli Manning. Okay. Three quarterbacks. Adrian Peterson as the only running back. Calvin Johnson and Percy Harvin as wide receivers. Percy Harvin, not on your list. On my list because maybe of what you said about Patrick Peterson. Yeah. Maybe it's too early, but he does so much to help his team win games. He returns kickoffs. He returns punt. He can line up as a running back. He plays wide receiver. He's always got the ball in his hands, and every time he touches it, he's got the potential to score a touchdown. Then I move to defense, and I think all my defensive guys were on your list. I have Patrick Willis, Demarcus Ware, Clay Matthews, and Jason Pierre-Paul. I didn't have Clay Matthews, but he'd be probably close. Okay, so... I had Jared Allen instead. Okay, and uh, I don't know if I'd fight you too hard on that. Right. Clay Matthews just off to the great start this year with the eight sacks. Right. Uh, Probably why... And he's got a ring. But again, if that question were just posed, would there... Of the guys you would want, who would you want? Because I weigh so heavily on quarterbacks, RG3 might be three in that conference for me. It'd It'd be close. I just think, you know, the way he posed the question was, and, and we answered right, it that right. way, who are the top ten players in the NFC? Yeah, I don't think he's all I don't think he's there I yet. I don't think he's even 
I don't want to say he's not all that close, but I think I have guys I left off the list that weren't him that I think would Matt rate, Ryan, for rate example. Higher. I didn't have Eli or Matt Ryan. Uh, you said Clay Matthews. I didn't have. So, I mean, there's three three guys right there. He'd be top 20, I think. Like, for me, I think he'd be the... We didn't have uh, LaShawn McCoy. You know, we both only had one running back. LaShawn right. McCoy is probably the second best running back in the in the conference. So, and we're, and then there's some other ones like Matthew Stafford. If we would have done this in the preseason, we probably both would have had him. Sure. But he struggled a little bit this year. What about Jimmy Graham? You know, yeah, I as a tight end and list, the way right. he dominates the tight end position and the way he helps the Saints win games. The one guy I thought about that would have been more of a uh, lifetime achievement award to be on my list would be Tony Gonzalez. Right. I mean, he's, he's having a great season. He's the best ever at that position, having a nice little resurgence here in the twilight of his career. But I don't think right now you put him on your top ten list, even though he's having a great year. And neither of us had any of the eight linebackers who currently lead the league in tackles. Chad Greenway, uh, Bowman for San Francisco, Laurinaitis for St. Louis, Fletcher for Washington, Lofton for New Orleans, Washington for Arizona, Lee for Dallas, and Hawk for Green Bay. Yeah, that might be an interesting conversation. So a, where do these tackling for, right. linebackers fit in? Yeah, I, was, I wonder how those guys... Because we on defense, we mostly focused on guys who sack the quarterback. Interceptions, right. Uh It'll be interesting. That that would be an interesting conversation to have either with a guest in the future, uh, maybe when we start talking about Hall of Fames next time it rolls around. Like, where does like a London Fletcher fall? He's a tackle machine, but he's never has he ever been like a really a game changing guy. I mean, he's just kind of a steady Eddie. He's a great, great player. I, I wanted to hesitate to say he great might be there, the but... uh, the uh, defensive equivalent of Curtis Martin. Just having a guy that's a steady Eddie, and so yeah, I mean, he maybe makes the Hall of Fame, but. Tackles are uh, middle linebackers are a weird, weird position. Different animal. He's had he's going to get a hundred tackles this year. He's well on his way. He's got fifty four already. Yeah, he's going to have a tackle uh, over a hundred tackles every year since two thousand. That's crazy. Every single. So yeah, I year. guess he has to be a Hall of Famer. But it's it's an odd position because it's just kind of a position that With three teams. Yeah, St. Louis, Buffalo, well. and Washington. All right. All right. So uh, one last thing. What yeah. What do you got? Uh, one more thing. If there, if you're a Ravens fan, there's never been a better year for the AFC North to be so lousy uh, and just kind of in dismay here because and Joe Flacco is going to need to step up, going to need to put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, talking about how he's a he great, to get paid. if not the best quarterback in the league by his own words. Because now you're missing Suggs, Ray Lewis, and Ladarius Webb. I know Suggs is coming close to being back. And uh, your defense just isn't looking that great. Your corners have always kind of been a problem. You signed Webb to fix that. Now they're gone. But, again, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati have had very uneven play. So I'm not sure who the who the best team in that league is. But any other year, and you looked at, if you would have looked at this team and saw how they're kind of – I mean, they're five and one still, I believe. Yep, they've shifted from a team that wins with offense from a team that has always historically won from defense. But yeah, uh, to my point, I, I'd just be glad this year is that a year that looks like Pittsburgh's down a little bit because I think for a five and one team, they're all of a sudden pretty vulnerable. All right, we talked a little bit about the way that it's hard to kind of separate teams, and especially with the way the records have fallen. 
there's a lot of divisions where teams are grouped together. And the question is, well, who is the best team in that group? And week seven is going to be a really great week for us to find the answers to that in two specific divisions. The first is the AFC West. Thursday night, 4-2 and two Seahawks are going to travel to the 4-2 and two 49ers. If the Seahawks want to be considered one of the best teams in the league or in the AFC West, they might not have to beat the 49ers in San Francisco, you want to be but they need to be competitive. Yeah. If they walk away from that game and have lost by 21 points, I'm going to turn around and say, you know what? The Seahawks are a team whose record is inflated because of some idiot officials and they can't hang with the best teams in their division. So we're going to learn a lot about who's who in that AFC or NFC West. The other division is the AFC East, and we talked with James Walker about it. But the Jets and the Patriots play each other this week. Both teams are 3-3, three and three, and the Patriots, maybe more so than the Jets, are at the point in their season where they need to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what kind of a team they are. So I'm really looking forward to this week to learning more about the NFC West and the AFC East.